As you'll see, it's on the screen behind me, but if you want to follow in the Bible in your pew or if you want to find it in the pew so you've got it to refer to during the sermon, in the plain cover, it's on page 817. In the more embellished cover, it's 1158. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 12, reading through to chapter 2, verse 4. In this, it's got Paul's change of plans as the heading. Now, this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have done so not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand, and I do hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of our Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I planned to visit you first so that we might benefit twice. I planned to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or did I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and then no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, a message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it was always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his own seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth, not that we lorded over at your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came I should not be distressed by those who ought to make me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy, for I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. Amen. Uh, let's pray, shall we? Um, Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for uh, our gathering together today and just how encouraging it is to be uh, your people uh, under your uh, authority and praising you. Father, we pray that as we uh, look at this passage from Scripture that your spirit would be working in our lives and that the end result would be that we would be people who, because of Christ, are men and women of integrity and uh, grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, have you ever heard of the, the Stabo generation? Uh, look, I'm not exactly sure which particular age bracket that refers to, but I kind of like the name because it means... Stabo means subject to a better offer. 
And you know what it's like, don't you? You invite someone to a social event at your place and they say, yeah, that'd be great, I'd love to be there, count me in. And um, in their minds, they're thinking, Stabo. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, yes, but what it really is, is maybe. It depends on what else comes up. Because my word, after all, is just always subject to a better offer. It's not great, is it? <clears throat> and it's, it's very different to the, the kind of person who uh, we would describe as being a faithful person. Uh, you know, the, the kind of person who, when they say that they are going to do something, that you can have peace of mind, because from your experience of them, you know that when they make a promise that, that they are sincere, that they intend to keep their word. So what if we as Christians became known uh, to be people who, who don't keep our word, uh, who are people who, who, who make promises where we're actually you know, not absolutely committed to, we're not committed to, in, to uh, fulfilling those promises? What would people think? What would they conclude about us? Well, you know, in our passage today in uh, 2 Corinthians 1, uh, this was actually a problem for the Apostle Paul because in the church in Corinth, there were some people who claimed that Paul was not faithful, that Paul lacked credibility because they said that he had made some promises about visiting them in Corinth and he didn't stick to his word. He kept changing his mind. He kept messing them about, which means that, well, you actually can't trust Paul. Wow. That's significant, isn't it? Because if people don't trust Paul, then that means that they don't respect Paul. And if they don't respect Paul, do you think that they're going to miss, listen to his message and take what he says about Jesus seriously? So, uh, what's this all about? Well, I, I think that some background um, information on the gospel in Corinth will help us here. And to th that end, I've, uh, I've got a map uh, that you've also got in your bulletins there. And uh, you can see where Corinth is. Well, I can see where Corinth is. Corinth is, is there. And uh, it's actually, it's in Greece. And it's actually a, a very important seaport city because uh, ships uh, coming through from the east through to Italy, uh, could uh, to Rome, could harbour there on the eastern side of uh, Greece in Corinth unload their, uh, their cargo onto, and cross it by land to the other side and, and uh, pack them onto another ship to head off to Italy rather than travelling all around uh, this um, landmass here. It was a very important uh, strategic uh, port city uh, which meant that it had uh, lots of people from many different places were living in Corinth and were, were doing business in Corinth. And that meant, of course, that they brought their idols with them. And so there were a lot of idols from many different places which were being worshipped in Corinth. And with, uh, <clears throat> with boats, with ships, with cargo ships come sailors, and with sailors comes a lot of support for the oldest of all professions. 
And so there was greed, there was idolatry, uh, there was immorality that was rife in this city and it was, with all those people flowing through Corinth, it was a very strategic city to preach the gospel, uh, which in Acts chapter 18 is what the Apostle Paul had done on what was his second missionary journey. Uh, Paul had gone to, uh, to Corinth uh, he had preached the gospel in Corinth. People believed the gospel in Corinth. And, uh, well, it was fantastic because what that meant was that there was now a church in Corinth. But I've got to tell you this, there was also a lot of Corinth in the church, if you know what I mean. Uh, it was a complicated church. There was a lot of sin in the church with, its, with, it, with pride, with immorality, with uh, divisiveness, with a whole stack of stuff that we'll learn about as we go through to Corinthians. But they were Christians. They were just Christians who, <laughs> who needed to have a lot of change take place in their lives. Now, Paul pastored them for a while and after which a, a disciple by the name of Apollos uh, pastored the Corinthian church, whilst Paul had actually gone to another place. Um, Paul had gone from Corinth and gone and uh, uh, relocated himself over here in Ephesus. Now that says Asia, that just, Asia just means east, uh, it's modern day Turkey. Uh, Paul had relocated himself in Ephesus, which was the second most significant city in the Roman Empire. And Paul evangelised in Ephesus and he preached the gospel and taught the word of God in Ephesus for uh, uh, more than a couple of years. Now, <clears throat> whilst he was in Ephesus, there was interaction between Paul in Ephesus and the Corinthians in Corinth. Some of that interaction was uh, by uh, physical reports from people about how things were going. Uh, and uh, there was also interactions in terms of letters that were written between the, from the Corinthian church to Paul and from Paul to the Corinthian church. Uh, we have two of those letters that Paul wrote from, to them, but we don't have all of the letters. We don't have the letters that the Corinthians wrote to Paul and we don't have two of the letters that we know Paul wrote to the Corinthians because he refers to them in the letters that we do have, one and two Corinthians. And so there was a lot of issues in Corinth. Um, it, was, it was a very messy church. And we know the details of, of the relationship uh, from uh, the... The, the, and the travels of Paul from the last chapter of 1 Corinthians, from the first two chapters of 2 Corinthians, and also from Acts chapter 18. And piecing those parts of Scripture together, we can get a good idea of what was actually going on between Paul and the Corinthian church. Um, at the end of uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul had told them that when he concluded his ministry in Ephesus, that he was going to, which would be in about a year's time from when he wrote to them, uh, it would only be after, uh, he wanted to go to Rome eventually and he couldn't get to Rome until 
the Roman Emperor Claudius had died um, because Claudius was banning Jews from Rome. But he planned uh, to finish his ministry in Ephesus in about a year's time. And what he was going to do uh, was that uh, when he finished in Ephesus, his plan was to sail up to Macedonia. See this area here where there'd been some churches planted, the Philippian church and the Thessalonian church? He wanted to spend some time uh, with the Macedonian churches and then after he'd spent time with them, he was going to travel south to Corinth and spend a significant time of ministry with them in Corinth before heading back to Judea and then hopefully uh, to Rome. That was what you might call plan A. <clears throat> plan A. But he changed his plans. And the reason why he changed his plans was that whilst he was still ministering in Ephesus, uh, Paul heard a report that things in Corinth had gone from bad to worse, that there was some really significant sin in the Corinthian church and that regardless of the fact that he was still ministering in Ephesus, he was going to have to make a special urgent visit over to Corinth to deal with these issues that had arisen. And it was during that special visit to, to, uh, to Corinth that he told them that when he concluded his ministry in Ephesus, that what he would do is instead of, mm, instead of going up to Macedonia first and then to Corinth, what he was going to do, he, when he left Ephesus, he was going to travel to Corinth first minister to them there, then he would travel up to Macedonia and minister to these churches, then after he'd done that he was going to head south again back to Corinth to spend the entire winter with them before heading to Judea. And uh, that way he would get to see them a bit sooner than he'd originally planned and also he would get to see them twice. Now, you're following me so far? I know this is complex, but it's, uh, it's important to understand. And that plan would be plan B. And he told them that whilst he was there with them on that urgent visit. That's what he intended. But when he got back to Ephesus, he thought about that further. That short visit urgent visit to, to Corinth had been a very painful visit for both Paul and for the Corinthian church as he tried to address some of the difficult issues that had arisen. It was a very painful visit and when he got back to Ephesus he decided that it would actually be wiser not to visit them again so soon as he had planned with plan B but rather that when he left Ephesus, when he left Ephesus, he would simply revert to plan A, head up to these Macedonian churches, spend some time there, and then uh, go and visit them in Corinth. So that is visiting them a bit later than what he had told them, and also visiting them only once. And in the meantime, 
he wrote another letter to them um, from, from Ephesus uh, addressing some significant issues, which he later described, which some have described as his sorrowful letter, which we'll come to in a moment. So what he's done is he's, he's, pl- he's changed plans again, hasn't he? He's gone from plan A to plan B, and then he's gone back to plan A. Now, uh, there were some people in the Corinthian church uh, who were more interested in their own glory than in the glory of God. That was a big part of the problem. And to them, Paul was a threat. And so they seized, they jumped on this opportunity uh, to discredit Paul, uh, to say to people that, well, you just can't trust the man, that he's worldly. He makes his plans without thinking them through and then he just changes as he says one thing and then he does another. He he flips and he flops. You can't trust Paul. They seize the opportunity to make that accusation against him. Whereas in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, if you care to open that up in your Bibles, Paul used the opportunity to do something different. He used the opportunity to teach about faithfulness. And firstly, by speaking about his own clear conscience. Let me uh, just pick it up at verse 12, where Paul says, Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relationships with you in the holiness and sincerity that are from God. We have not done so according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. Worldly wisdom. That's when you, <clears throat> you, you stretch the truth or you, you make decisions that are just based on your, for your own advantage. Before I was a Christian, I was a liar. I was a liar. I, I remember once in a job interview making a promise which I knew that I had no intention of keeping just so that I could get the job. And uh, later being told by, told by someone I respected that that was okay, that was fine because uh, that employer wouldn't hesitate to lie to me if they had a chance. That's worldly wisdom, isn't it? It's okay to stretch the truth, it's okay to... Uh, to not be committed to something if it's for your own advantage. But Paul was not like that. Paul didn't change his plans for some personal selfish benefit. Rather, in all of his dealings, he he says that, that he has been sincere with them. And in verse 13, in, in, the, in the letters that he's written to them, that he's been up front. He hasn't tried to hide anything from them. He's been clear. And it's his hope that as they understand him better, that they'll know that that accusation of unfaithfulness is not true, that he is faithful, and that that they will be able to, to boast in him as he boasts in them. Now, we feel a bit uncomfortable about <clears throat> the idea of boasting, in, don't we, uh, in this kind of context? 
What does he mean by that? Uh, Part of the context here is that in the Corinthian church, in the ancient world, the Greeks, uh, they they did not value humility. They they thought it was, they valued boasting, telling people about all of your great achievements. And in the Corinthian church, there were some people who were boasting about how, how spiritual they are, boasting about their experiences with God in contrast to Paul. And Paul says, well, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in you guys. I'm going to boast in your faith and your love and your hope. And that's a good kind of boasting, isn't it? I was in church last Sunday in Sydney and uh, <clears throat> some people said to me, so how's the church going in Port Macquarie, Scott? They always ask me that question. <laughs> and uh, I, I was able to say with, with thankfulness, it's, it's going really well. It's great. There is, there is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is, there is hope uh, in eternity and there is love for one another in our congregation. And I mean that, folks. How good is it to be able to say that? How great to be able to say that to God? on the day that Jesus returns. And in verse 14, it's that kind of boasting that Paul hopes that the Corinthians will be able to to boast about him as they understand that he actually is faithful, uh, not as he has been accused. But what about the promise that Paul made? You know, that um, the plan B promise when he promised that he would visit them twice. Uh, Have a look at verse 15. He says that because I was confident of this, he was confident that they would would understand him and they would value him. Because I was confident of this, I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. To Corinth first, then up to Macedonia, then back to Corinth. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. When I planned this, did I do it lightly? Or, or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say yes, yes, and no, no? Um, when Paul made that plan during that short, painful visit with them, he wasn't being worldly. <laughs> like, he wasn't being like the Stabo generation saying to them, I'm going to visit you guys twice. First on my way up north to Macedonia and then on my way back south saying, yes, yes, that's what I'm going to do. When he's actually thinking, no, no, I'm not really committed to that idea at all. No, Paul's reason for changing his plans was that he was caring for the church and caring for his relationship with the church. He explains it in verse 23. I call God as my witness that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? And then he speaks of the difficult letter that he had to write to them. Do you know that sometimes when we have to, as Christians, rebuke another Christian, or we need, or indeed a whole church needs to be rebuked, if there are so many, if there are many issues that need to be raised, 
then that can be really overwhelming, can't it, for the person who is the one who needs to change. It can be very overwhelming. And, and sometimes people, they, they just need some space so that they can process it and so that they can work it through so they can have a chance to change. And that's what Paul decided to give them, some space. Because to visit them again and to do so too soon would have just created more pain, would have been pain upon pain for them, for them and also for him. But he did write them a letter because there was some other really bad stuff that had happened, which he says in chapter 2, verse 4, was written, and I quote, out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. You see, that's, um, you, you get an insight into the heart of Paul, don't you? Uh, Paul's ministry is not professional. It's not arm's length. It's not, it, 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 it involves Paul making himself vulnerable. It involves being bruised for the sake of God's church. He cried over the church. And it's actually, it's actually what God is like, isn't it? It actually reflects the heart of God. And it also reflects the faithfulness of God. Imagine if God made promises that he didn't intend to keep. What would, what would life be like? I think we'd all be in a whole lot of trouble, don't you? That would be terrible. But how can we be sure that God is faithful, that he's not like that? Well, Paul gives two reasons. First of all, the gospel itself. Verse 18. But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes. In Christ Jesus. Now, what are some of the big promises that God made in the Old Testament? I'm thinking an everlasting kingdom. I'm thinking uh, God's anointed king who would rule over God's everlasting kingdom. I'm thinking forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. They're some of the promises, aren't they? I love that one as it's expressed in Isaiah 53 about the, the promise of the suffering servant who would be pierced for our transgressions, who would be crushed for our iniquities, that the punishment which brought us peace was upon him. That's a huge promise. And when God made that promise, do you think he meant it? Well, the... The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ says yes. A resounding yes. If you ever have any doubts about the faithfulness of God, what do you need to do? You need to look back 
through the cross of Jesus. But what about the future? How can we know that God won't just change his mind and let us go? Well, here's where Paul um, mentions the Holy Spirit in verse 21. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Uh, Some years ago, Cassie and I um, purchased a a new bed. And um, it had on it, and it still does have on it, stitched into the fabric of of the mattress, it has a special seal from the manufacturer which, uh, which guarantees the authenticity of this bed. It guarantees that this is one of their beds. Right? <coughs> well, I'm sure someone could fake it. <laughs> but it's a seal to guarantee that this is one of their beds. You know, um, and when we ordered that bed, uh, we had to put a deposit on it. And we put a deposit on it as a guarantee that of our faithfulness, as a, as a guarantee that there's more to come. <laughs> when we put our trust in Jesus, it is because God, by his spirit, has anointed us, that, that is, that he has set us apart for himself. And, he's, and his spirit within us is just like that seal which, uh, is, which guarantees that we belong to him. And the Spirit uh, is also a deposit. It's, he is God's deposit, the guarantee that there is more to come, the guarantee that God would fulfil his promise to us of eternal life, that he won't let us down. That's God's faithfulness. And therefore, since God is like that towards us, how should we be towards others? That's the issue here, isn't it? Uh, the Apostle Paul was, uh, was wrongly accused of being unfaithful to his promises. But are there areas where we might be rightly accused of being unfaithful? Think about it. Perhaps uh, intentionally giving someone the impression that we will do something for them or that we'll be involved in a particular ministry by saying yes, yes, when we're really thinking maybe, maybe. (laughs) Oh, I don't really think so. Or, you know, something which is common, which I've had to think through myself, is, uh, you know, when someone shares something um, personal with you, an issue that's going on in their life, and uh, you respond to them by saying, I'll pray for you about that. And sometimes we can say that because, well, that's just the kind of thing we say to people when they share something personal with us. Well, better not to make the promise. Better still, better to, to fulfil the promise and make sure we pray. But don't make promises that we don't intend to keep. 
or we uh, perhaps commit ourselves to something. But when it becomes just a bit inconvenient or costly, we change our minds. And sometimes that, that's um, an okay thing to do if we then consult with other people and everyone understands they're, they're happy about it and so on. But do we do that without even considering the effect that it has on others? That they'll be let down by us? You know, the flip side of all of this uh, is not to be like some of those Corinthians were. Uh, when someone changes plans on us, do we automatically just judge them for it and assume that they are being unfaithful and uncommitted, that they're unreliable? Or do we care enough to check with them, to find out what's going on, to find out the facts first instead of jumping to conclusions? Jesus once said, let your yes mean yes and let your no mean no. Oh, that's so different from the Stabo generation, isn't it? But it's so important, so important for many reasons, not the least being that if we are not people who are faithful to our word, then why should we expect people to listen to our word, especially when we tell them about Jesus? And that was the very reason why Paul needed to correct the record with the Corinthians. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a faithful God, that uh, you are unchanging, that you make promises that uh, you uh, do indeed fulfil. We thank you that we are the beneficiaries of that in the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray for ourselves that uh, we would be as you are to us, towards others. That we would be men and women of, um, of gospel faithfulness and integrity. That uh, our word would be believable. And that people would indeed respect us and be able to listen to what we have to say, uh, even about the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We pray these things in his name. Amen.